Good morning. Open your Bibles, if you would, to Psalm 27. And you should have a bulletin there that will um, help you along. It doesn't have a lot of notes on it, and that's on purpose. Uh, I've, I've opened that up more. Um, it reduces busy work for me and cr- increases in, in uh, creativity for you as well. So that's my desire in uh, shortening, abbreviating that outline. But you can write all the notes you want in there. Uh, we're going to be in Psalm 27. But before I get to that, before I read it, I wanted to draw um, the children's attention, those kids who are left in here, uh, to the uh, blast zone here. And mine happens to be blue uh, because I'm a boy. So mine's blue. But I wanted to draw your attention. This is something um, we're, we're changing a little bit the way uh, we're doing this. I speak as if I have some role in it. Brianna's the one who does this mostly. But uh, if you will open that up to the inside, this is for children who are between the ages of those who just left, but not yet in U3. So like, uh, you know, middle school or younger, um, younger than middle school, but above the ages that just left there. If you try and do it and, and you're five, you might struggle with this. If you try and do that and you're 16, you might be frustrated because it was too easy. So this is designed for that middle group. And what I would like you guys to do, uh, children in that, in that age group is here's a place in here to take notes. Um, if you want to, to answer some questions and things like that, uh, or on this side over here, if you're more inclined that direction, uh, you can kind of draw a picture of the sermon or something you learned from the sermon. Um, it's not just doodling per se, but it's more um, drawing out kind of what you've learned. And so we're trying to engage that group more in the, in the message and, and uh, being able to interact with what's going on. And for those who fill out this center portion... After the sermon, they will have a chance to uh, come over here where Brianna is going to be and uh, and show that to her and, and talk with her about it if you'd like, and then she will have a, a little bit of a prize, a gift for you uh, in that. So uh, that's something new. We're just starting this week. We're going to try and do that every week and uh, uh, going forward. So I'm excited about that because that's, uh, you know, um, a, a way for them to engage and be, uh, you know, more engaged in, in uh, not just the singing time and not just other things, but listening and interacting with the message as well. So that's what that is designed for. We are in Psalm 27 this morning, and let me read it for us, and then we will go to the Lord in prayer. Psalm 27 of David. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fail. Though war rise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing I have asked of the Lord. That will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And now my 
head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me, and I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. O you who have been my help, cast me not off. Forsake me not, O God of my salvation. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me and they breathe out violence. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. And let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we pause at this point this morning to cast our attention towards you. We recognize that we are gathered here together as the body of Christ in this place, holding before us your word to proclaim in this time. We ask, Father, that you would add your blessing to that proclamation that you would minister to us and strengthen us, convict us where we need that, give us courage where we need that. We pray that you would minister to us during this time. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. What are we afraid of? The last couple of weeks of messages have caused me to think about this topic about our fears. And so I sat down with pen in hand and I thought I will... I'll write down a couple of things that people might be afraid of, that people might be fearing, and out popped a dozen very quickly. Illness and death, financial collapse, whether national financial collapse or personal loss of job, societal collapse, maybe political authoritarianism, maybe the fear that God is not going to come through for me. He's not going to do what I want or what I think he should do. What if I never find a spouse and end up alone? What if I end up a failure and a disappointment? What if I can't have children? What if I have more children than I think I can handle? What if I never see the changes that I want to see in me or in other people? What if my prodigal child never returns? Will I make it into heaven? These, these fears, some of these perhaps are my own. I can relate to some of them. And I don't know which ones you can relate to. When I read that list, maybe others popped up in your mind when I started reading a list, you thought, oh no, I hope he doesn't say this because that's what I'm really afraid of. I don't know 
what it is you fear. I don't know the things that, that you're afraid of in your mind, but I know that many of us are crippled and we are controlled by fear. My hope for this message today is that we would see whether our uh, fear of something other than God is hindering us in our relationship with Him. Are we fearing something else that has become a hindrance in our relationship with God? In our passage today, we will see how having a right understanding of the Lord gives us confidence, gives us boldness in the face of our enemies, of our adversaries, in the face of our fears, no matter how great those fears might be. And so, this psalm has been powerful to me in meditating on it and thinking about it. And I just want to work through it uh, relatively quickly uh, today and, and kind of break it up into pieces. And you have in your outline there uh, the first point, the first couple of verses, the first three verses, that uh, the psalmist has a great confidence in God. Right off the bat, the Lord is my light and my salvation. What hope he has in God, what trust he has in God, that God is his light. Children and sometimes adults are often afraid of the dark. And I get that in some ways because if you're walking across a room that's unfamiliar, barefoot, you should be afraid. You're going to step on a Lego or you're going to find the corner of the couch, right? And so we have fear of the dark. And why is that? I think it's because we can't see. And light makes it so, oh, I, I can just walk around that Lego and there's the couch. I don't have to kick it to find it, right? Because we can see it. And he says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. God is my hope. What a way to start. What a, what a, a stake to drive in the ground right there. He is confident in God. Whom shall I fear? Whom shall I fear? Is there, is there going to be some bad guy, some bad thing that's going to be larger than God? That, that, that's going to slip by God? That's going to overtake God? That, that God, my light and my salvation can't stand up to? Is there something, is there, is there a boogeyman that big? No. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The, that's a rhetorical question. No one is the answer. Whom shall I fear? No one and nothing apart from God himself. The Lord is the stronghold of my life. He's like a fortress. Of whom shall I be afraid? Who's going to break in? Who's, who's going to get past the Lord's guard, his defenses, to, to get where I am, to attack me? Rhetorical question. Nobody is the answer. Nobody. He's the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries, my shows, my foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, an army, though there be war against me, you know, some entire nation declares war on you. <laughs> you going to be afraid? The psalmist declares not. He says, he says, they shall stumble and fall. I will be confident even when my face, 
My life is in the crosshairs because God is my strength. God is my light. God is my salvation. He is my fortress regardless of who comes against me. So he has this very great confidence in God. That's where he sets the foundation. I think it's important for us as we are working through this passage and we're looking at uh, the concept of fear and what do we fear, we see right off the bat with the psalmist that he knows what is true. And he focuses on that. He leads with what is true. This is my God. This is what he is like. And therefore, it has consequences for me. I am safe in him. So he leads with that. But as so often happens in the Psalms, the Psalms are a journey. Each one is a journey. Leading us from one place to another place. And that's the same with this one. That Not only is he confident in his God, but he longs for communion with God. It's, it's tough when you're reading a psalm to identify what the context is. You know, I say in my hermeneutics class that context is king. And we, uh, we look at what's going on historically and the paragraphs before and after and whatnot. But when you come to a psalm, it sort of stands alone. And unless there's something in the text to tell you where, it, where it's tied to in David's life or in someone else's life, it's hard to, hard to nail it down. But we see evidence in this one. First of all, the psalmist has enemies. And it seems like they're military enemies. The discussion of war and, and, uh, and a whole army and things like that. It seems like it's military enemies. And in this next section, it seems like these enemies or fighting these enemies or dealing with this, these enemies is somehow keeping David from the place of worship. He longs to get there. He longs to, to go back where he can have this communion with God. One thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. It seems like he's in a place where he can't get there. He's barred from access, from entrance into uh, the, the tabernacle, into the place of worship. And we can think, you know, in David's life of times when that was the case, when he was running and hiding in the caves and he was living in the wilderness or when he was hanging out with the Philistines for a period of time and, and stuff like that. We can, we can recognize that, but this seems like the psalmist is, is pining away for that opportunity. When I get there, I'm never leaving. I can't wait. One thing I've asked for, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. That's where I want to go. That's where I want to be. I want to go to the tabernacle. I want to go to the temple. I want to go to the place where God is being worshipped with God's people. That's where I want to be. To gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. To inquire, to meditate in His temple. That's where I want to be. He longs for God's presence in that way. He, he can pray where He is. and He can write psalms. I mean, He's writing Scripture wherever he is. But he longs for that place. He longs for God's presence in that way. He wants to gaze upon the Lord's beauty. He wants to inquire of the Lord. He's not polling the Lord. He's not inquiring like, hey, I have a question for you, God, and, and asking an inquiry. And, oh, I have another question for you, God, and asking an inquiry. No, he, he wants to meditate upon him. 
He wants to dwell upon God, contemplating Him. And so, here we have the psalmist who seems to have these enemies coming against him. That's what he's writing about. He seems to be in some way separated from uh, from the, the tabernacle, from the place of worship, and he wants to go back there. He desires that presence. And look at verse 5. He will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. He, he wants to, to go there. It's like it's a fortress. It's like it's a place of protection. It's like being there is God's uh, protection over me. It's like, it's like entering into the Lord's house and the Lord won't let anything happen to him while he's there. That's kind of the imagery that he's looking at here. When I first opened this psalm and, and uh, began to work on it, to preach it, my, my desire was to, to focus on and, and see how he develops uh, a fear of, of the Lord that makes all other fears pale in comparison. And what surprised me was what I found in verses 4, 5, and 6. I, I didn't expect this, and I didn't see it right away. Maybe you saw it right away. But five times in these three verses, we read about God's house. Five times, right there piled together. The house of the Lord, his temple, his shelter, his tent, a couple of different times. When he's thinking about the Lord, when he's thinking about his enemies coming against him, and he's thinking about his reliance upon the Lord and his trusting in the Lord, in his mind, there's some connection with the, the tabernacle. There's some connection with the place where God dwells. Now, David's a prophet. He knows that God doesn't dwell in a locale, as if God is here and not there. He knows that theologically that's, uh, that's not true. And yet there is a place where God has made his presence known to be worshipped in that place. And, and David wants to go there. He wants to return there and, and find peace and find that comfort. He speaks in terms of protection. I want to go to the Lord's house because there's protection there. He's speaking spiritually. He's speaking figuratively. He doesn't think that by running into the temple, his, temp his, his enemies can't you know, get past the, the, the Levites or whatever. He, it's not the terms he's thinking of. He's, 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 he's identifying that in God himself, in my relationship with him, in my being in him, that's where there is security. That's where is peace. That's where I will be protected. And so I didn't expect to find that in 4, 5, and 6, but there it is again and again. And I think that, that that brings us to a point of application before we move on in our in our section here that I was I came to this passage because of how it addresses fear. I'm not going to fear my enemies. I'm not going to be afraid of my enemies, even if they multiply in number so that it's a whole army declaring war on me, yet I'm not going to fear. That's why I came here to this passage. And part of David's answer has to do with the house of the Lord. Now, the New Testament says that we are the temple of the living God. The, the people, God's people, his children, the church, not the, not the building, not the structure. The people are the temple of the living God. And we know uh, from reading Jesus' words and elsewhere in the New Testament that worship for the New Testament believer is not tied to a specific location. 
You can worship God while you're digging a ditch. You can worship God while you're walking on the moon. If you get that chance, let me know. I'd, I'd love to see that. <laughs> but you can worship God wherever, right? We know that that's the case. Uh, Jesus said those who worship uh, God will worship him in spirit and in truth. And so you don't need to worry about the temple that's, that's you know, in, in, uh, in Samaria, where he was talking to the, to the Samaritan woman, nor in, in uh, Jerusalem at the temple there, uh, because, because we worship by spirit. We, we worship him in spirit and in truth, right? We worship him because we are in Christ. So we're not, we're not bound to a particular location, and yet the New Testament saying that we are the temple of the living God indicates to me that there is something special about the gathering together of God's people. There is a special ministry that happens when we come together. It's not just attendance at an event or something like that. It's where the members of the body of Christ minister to one another. It's where they exhort one another. It's where they encourage one another. They bear one another's burdens. We do that together. We stir one another up to love and good deeds together. And that's why in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, the author there tells us not to neglect meeting together, as is the habit of some, but to encourage one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. When things get dire, encourage one another all the more. Now, you can do that on the phone. And you can do that, you know, um, in, in other ways. But there is no place where it is done like it is done here. With the body of Christ gathered together. With the temple of the living God joining together to worship Him. And so, I'm aware that uh, in our day and age, there there are certain uh, health situations that may keep someone home for a time. We're, I, I'm aware of that, and I'm sensitive to that. We also need to be aware of the risks that come from being absent, from joining together with the body of Christ. It's it's not the same. David David was in the process of writing scripture. So he had Scripture with him when he was running in the hills or when he was hiding with the Philistines or whatever he was doing in this context. And he longed to be back. He longed to be there. And my concern and, and our concern as elders is, is that it's possible in the absence of the encouragement, the fellowship, the joining together, it's possible that over time, one could begin to lose this desire that David has. Lose the desire, not just for the place, not, not even just for the people, but even lose the desire really to walk with the Lord. Lose the focus on Him. And so that's, that's our concern when we, in dealing with these times, we know that, we know that uh, there, there uh, are tough situations, tough health things that people are going through. We know that. And, uh, and I'm not calling uh, those people out, but there, uh, there may be some that absence hasn't made the heart grow fonder, but it's actually cooled the heart. And some need to be here with us. And that, that jumped out at me from looking at David's own reasoning in this passage here. And he says, verse 6, Now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. 
And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. David wants to go there and he wants to be with the people of God. He wants to be singing. He wants to be praising God together. He wants to join in that. He longs for that. It's something that motivates him and where he is. And so that brings him to our next section, the next few verses, 7 through 12, where his, we have his prayer being recorded for us. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. So he's in that place. He has confidence in God, and yet he's been removed from uh, the place of worship. He's perhaps been removed from his own uh, from his own homeland. We don't know exactly what's going on, but he's he's not where he wants to be. He's removed, but he's got this great confidence. And in the midst of that, he prays, "Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud." It takes a lot for me to cry aloud. I can cry in my heart. You know, I pray silently. I can call out to God in emergency situations. He says, I cry with my voice. He is distressed. It's a real situation that he's going through. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, will I seek. That means to to, to seek God's favor through prayer. To, to, To desire to be in his presence. It's the exact opposite of what Adam and Eve did, remember? When they sinned and the Lord showed up, what did they do? They avoided His presence. They went away from His presence. They fled His presence. They didn't want to be in His presence face to face. This is seeking His face, desiring to be in His presence, desiring to to know Him in that way. It's like a baby playing with Daddy's face. That's the... uh, That's fun. Well, that happens. Baby, I don't have a beard. Stephen has a beard, and his baby can pull the beard. I don't have that, so it's fun when a baby wants to play with your face. And this is a little bit what it's like seeking his presence. And David says, "My heart says to says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek?" And then he comes to the fear, his contemplation of the disaster that would make all other fears. Irrelevant. Make them all pale in comparison to the fear that he contemplates. Just bringing it up in verse 9, hide not your face from me. Can you imagine the disaster? David's entire hope is God's presence. His entire plan for deliverance, hope for deliverance is found in God himself. And he's saying, don't hide your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. O you who have been my help, cast me not off, forsake me not, O God of my salvation. He realizes this connection that he has, though he's removed from the temple, he's removed from maybe his homeland, he's removed from maybe his family, he's removed from a lot of things, he's in the face of danger from his enemies, all of those things, and yet... Those connections are not what he longs for the most. The connection he demands, that he longs for the most, the one that if it were threatened, would be the disaster of disasters, is his relationship with God. Don't hide your face from me. He longs for that relationship. He he, he longs for that and he realizes, I'm willing to give up literally everything else. 
but that. That's the greatest fear that he could contemplate. So he asks that question and he cries out to God for that. But look at his solution. Look at his solution. My father and my mother have forsaken me. I think what he means there is my father and my mother may forsake me. They have the, the, the potential, the capacity for doing so. Or maybe it's a reference to the fact that fathers and mothers have been unfaithful in the parenting of their children. They've, they've not always loved them as they ought. They sometimes have, sometimes have been angry at them. They've not provided for their children what they need or any of the other thousand things that every single parent feels guilty about. <laughs> and he's saying, my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. And I think what's going on here in this section is that he's contemplating the loss of everything, but he is unable to bear the loss of that. That's the one thing that is of the greatest value to him. And I think having realized that, he also realizes it is not possible to lose that. It is an unreal thing that he is contemplating. I think that's what the psalmist is saying here, that He's just pondering, and why is it that I don't have to be afraid of an army that might cut me off from life? Why is it that I don't have to be afraid of, of, of enemies that would besmirch my name, that would throw me under the bus? Or, or why is it that I don't have to be afraid of these different circumstances? Why is it? Because I am secure in the only thing that ultimately, finally, and really matters. So I can face that other stuff. This being secure, I can face those other things. He continues in his prayer, Teach me your way, O Lord. Lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me and they breathe out violence. Having looked at his relationship with the Lord, having understood that that is what matters the most, God who is my salvation, God who is my fortress, understanding that that relationship is of utmost value, does that mean your enemies go away? Does that mean that at the end of the day, your enemies are utterly irrelevant and your life doesn't matter? Breathing your last breath just doesn't matter. Of course not. But it reinterprets how we understand our last breath, how we understand the attacks of the enemies how we understand the struggles that we go through in life, it puts them in context. And so he cries to God about these things. Lord, don't hand me over to them. Don't let them have their way with me. He's crying out to God because God who is his fortress, God who is his stronghold, God who is his hope and his life and his salvation has control in this situation. So Lord, being secure in you, knowing you, I ask that you work here and protect me from these guys and from these guys over here. Teach me your way, O Lord. Lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries for false witnesses have risen against me and they breathe out violence. I believe, he says, that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. What does that mean? 
Well, the different versions, if you, if you look at different translations, you will see this is difficult to interpret. The Hebrew here is, is uh, it's an incomplete sentence. And so you've got to fill it in. You've got to finish the sentence somehow. And so the King James said, says this, I had fainted unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. I would have fainted. I was, I, was, I was expiring. I was just about done. But I believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And it strengthened me to continue. Or the New American Standard, I would have despaired unless I believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. So it's difficult to translate it, but the idea uh, seems to be that I gain confidence. Without this fact, I would have no confidence and I would faint. With this fact, I have great confidence. And the fact is, I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. So what does that mean? Blessings for you, long life and health and prosperity. The things that we might consider good. You make a list of of, uh, what we would really love to have from God, all the good stuff. And is it the fulfillment of that list? I don't think that's what's going on here. I think it means the help that we receive from the Lord is real. It's not pie in the sky help. It's not. It's not. Uh, you know, like the resolution to a. You know, a simple plot in a simple movie that oh, this thing happened and now everything's good. I don't think that's what's going on. We're approaching the Hallmark Christmas movie season. And this happens again and again, right? Where something happens and solves the whole thing, and it's all over. And I don't think that's what's going on here. It's not a pie in the sky kind of hope. That has no bearing, uh, you know, in, in reality. Nor is it the kind of thing where we just think, oh, in glory, everything will be made fine and nothing until then makes any sense or matters. That's, that's not what it's discussing either. It's talking about the fact that my understanding, my, my realization of the goodness of the Lord reinterprets everything I go through now. As a Christian, I don't know when I face opposition how that's going to be resolved. I don't know if when I face this this health crisis, this financial crisis, this relational difficulty, this, this other hardship, I don't know when I go into that and I pray and ask God to work and do His thing and, and I may ask for healing or blessing or forgiveness and I may ask for lots of things and I don't know what He's going to do. Sometimes He gives deliverance and the ailment you suffered from, He removes miraculously. Sometimes you've got a broken relationship and you agonize over it and God heals that relationship. He answers that way. Sometimes uh, God solves your financial uh, difficulties in, with, a, with a generous donor or with a new uh, idea or a, someone comes along and helps you with your finances or whatever. And he answers those things. And sometimes you're left right where you were. You pray for healing. No healing comes. You pray for help in that relationship. Still a difficult relationship. Does that mean the Lord has abandoned you? The Lord has not answered? Does that mean the Lord is ignoring you? Does that mean you are not seeing the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living? Not at all. Like the psalmist right here when he observed his enemies coming against him and, and those who were saying bad things about him and those, you know, the, the fact that he was isolated, he was removed from where he really wanted to be. He did want to be back in the temple. He did want to be back with uh, his people. He did want that resolution. 
But he realized, as long as I have God, who is good, who is caring for me, and in the New Testament we read, he is causing all things to work together for good, for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. We realize that what I receive from him, even though it's illness, is from his good hand, and it is for my good. What I receive from him, even though it is hardship and difficulty, yet it is from his good hand, and it is for my good. Even if my enemies come against me, even if the Lord doesn't, uh, you know, give me a way to, to run away or, or stand between me and them with a, a pillar of fire and, and, uh, and protect me from them. Even if he doesn't deliver me, even if they attack me and kill me. Yet that was, that came to me from the good hand of my good Father, who is sovereign over all things. He is in control of that. And it is for my good. And so I see his goodness even where I otherwise wouldn't see goodness. Because I know who he is. And I know who he is for me. The psalmist says, I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Even now, even if my enemies do triumph, even if I never get back to Jerusalem, even, even if I die. In that process, knowing who my good God is, yet I will see His good. And often the Lord does answer. He does deliver, and He delivers miraculously. And we celebrate those things. When we pray for healing and God gives a miraculous healing, we talk about that. We encourage each other with that. He does those things. But our faith is not dependent upon whether or not He answered my prayer the way I wanted Him to. He is good. And I see His goodness all around me. And so we come to our last verse, which is our next point of application. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. Let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Don't fear. Be confident. Be strong. Be encouraged. Wait for the Lord. You don't know what form his deliverance will take. I know some of you face great difficulties and hard decisions with work, with uh, things that are going on in our culture and the pressures that that applies to you. I know that many have been affected financially and, and face being affected financially in a much greater way. Wait for the Lord. Be confident in Him. And I, I don't know how that circumstance will work out. But you know, as a Christian, that He is working that circumstance out for your good, to conform you to the image of His Son. It's not a surprise to him. It's not out of his control. It's not a failure on his part. We find comfort in him. Wait for the Lord. Don't fear. Don't fear any of these other things. That one central relationship 
knowing who God is and being rightly related to Him, having that in place gives confidence, gives boldness in every other circumstance. Don't fear. And our last point of application here is has to do with the temple, has to do with the tabernacle, has to do with the fact that that we are in a situation, we are in a a world, we are in a, a state in redemptive history where we don't have to travel to Jerusalem to be related to God. We don't have to travel there to worship Him as we ought to. In fact, the Bible is clear throughout that, uh, that God is utterly holy and we can only approach Him in the ways that He gives us to approach Him. Our sin keeps us from Him. Our sin would actually make us His enemy unless we take refuge in Christ. He uses language here about the temple and about the refuge that we have in the temple and the protection that is ours. And He covers us with, with, the, uh, with the, the corner, the cover of His tent we, we run there. He's a, he's a refuge for us. And this is language about the, the tabernacle, about the, the temple, and it's ultimately fulfilled in Jesus. Where do we find refuge? From the real enemies that matter? The real enemies that matter, by the way, are the enemies that take the form of our own sin, our own sinful nature, and rebellion against God. Where, where are we going to flee to find refuge from that? We run to Christ. We find that that in Christ, by faith in Christ, we are lifted up and placed upon the rock. We are put in a place of safety, protected within the confines of the temple as it were. Protected inside Christ is the language Paul would use. The Pastor Woody read earlier. Safe in Christ. Protected in Christ. And so our sin, the the penalty that we rightly deserve because of what we have done, when we are united with Christ by faith, that sin is no longer upon us anymore. It has been dealt with. It has been put away. And the righteousness of Christ is where we stand. And there we stand in confidence. Firm, safe, secure, at peace with God. So as I read this passage about not fearing, we could fear a lot. We could fear many things in this world. And, and it seems like that is kind of the, the word for the day is fear. And there is safety. And there is security from our greatest fears. Only in Jesus. And so some of you don't know Christ and you need to. Some of you need to uh, turn from whatever you've been trusting in or you need to turn to Jesus and put your faith in Him. And you will find that you will be safe and secure in Him, unassailable by any foe. Your body may die. And that's not what's important. You will be secure in Christ, in your inner man. You You will know Him in this life. You will see His goodness here. And you will be in His presence forevermore.
And the rest of us need to be reminded of that fact anyway. Christians tend to forget this. It's almost as if we, we come to Christ and we see uh, knowing Him as like a chapter in a book, and then we turn the page to the next chapter and we move on to something else with new fears, with new realities, with new things we're dealing with, having shut the chapter that tells us about what really matters, tells us about Christ Himself, how we can be secure in God. And so we come together on a Sunday morning to remind ourselves that chapter should never be closed. We, we, we need to direct our eyes to Christ and see what He has done. See that in Him we run and find our refuge. Yes, I have been saved. I am in Christ. And I need to be reminded of that because I forget it all too easily. And I begin to fear these piddly little enemies. I begin to fear these other little things that, that might come against me. Having forgotten what it means to be in Christ. What it means to have peace with God. That was the anchor for David in this psalm. Being right with God makes sense of everything else. So we need to encourage each other that direction. Too many Christians are crippled and controlled by their fear of things other than God. If you've become aware today that you are fearing something other than God that is keeping you from obeying God in some way, Think of this, a right understanding of what we have in Christ gives the Christian a confidence and a boldness that overcomes our fears, no matter how great those fears might be. And so we remind ourselves, and we remind you, look to Christ, look to Christ. In Jesus Christ, we have the only refuge that really matters, a refuge from the wrath of God. And a way to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of our life. To gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His temple. By faith in Jesus, He will hide me in His shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of His tent. He will lift me high upon that rock, Jesus Christ. Because we are in Christ by faith, we can say with the psalmist, Now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me, and I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, I confess that I often fear. There are many things that I fear. Some were on this list and others were not on the list Circumstances and people and pain and loss and uncertainty and failure and Father, I pray for me and for each of us today that you would lift our eyes above and beyond our enemies and our fears to you that we would take comfort in Christ and that we would not fear these other things. That we would not let fear of anything else twist our behavior, our attitudes, our lives, our words, our families, our church. But that we would fear you first, fear you ultimately. And in light of that, we would see our enemies and the other things that we might have feared in a very different light, that we would be confident and have boldness, courage in the face of difficulty because of Jesus, 
Father, I pray that you would lift our eyes to you today and this afternoon and this week that we would see you and find comfort in you by faith in your son, Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. There's going to be a family up here to uh, pray with you if you would like. And remember, uh, for you who filled out the blast zone, Brianna will be over here. This verse from 1 Corinthians is powerful this morning. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. God bless you all, and amen. You are dismissed.